Hello, just a quick warning, this podcast contains brief references to suicidal thoughts. If you need any help or support these holidays, I've left some links down below for you. Hello, Merry Christmas, uh, if you celebrate it, wherever you are. It should be the 25th of December when you're listening to this, and this is an Into the Black Archive Christmas special. I'm James, Owen is alongside me in person for once. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. It's it's so Christmassy, we've actually got together to share mince pies and other Christmas-related things. Yeah, we're, we're spreading all the Christmas joy at the moment. There is so much Christmas joy here. We've got some, we've got a tree up, we've got um, a some fairy lights. There, there is an actual roaring fireplace. I cut yep. the wood down this morning and I've brought it in here. Yep. What was that? I think that might have been Santa. That's, so that's Santa's quick, at the door. Oh yes, let's go make this quick. You can't sneak down the chimney these days after no. the accident <laughs> last year. Yes, in case you can't tell, it's November. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what's important is that, like we did last year, if you've been listening to us for a little bit now, we did the first of the Doctor Who Christmas specials, which became a thing in two thousand and five, and have since become new yeah. specials. We did the Christmas Invasion last year. And by extension, we're doing the second one now, which coincidentally, given who is coming back, yeah. next Doctor Who episode. Now, now, James, these these guys seem a bit similar. They look especially like what we've been told the fourth Doctor will be and his companion. Am I going mad here? Uh, have we yes. gone back in time? The fourteenth Doctor is in this episode along with his his new companion, which is bizarre because they've obviously had an episode made already. Yeah, like so long ago, in two thousand and six. Well, people remember them. <laughs> no one on TikTok will. <laughs> yes, it's of course it's David Tennant and. For the first time on Doctor Who, Catherine Tate uh, in The Runaway Bride, which is good fun. It's good festive fun. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, sorry, James. I've just knocked over his laptop. It's you can, fine. You can, you can tell we're in person when we start breaking each other's things. Yes, it's not like the controlled environment of, of the digital recording space that we've been in for months. Yeah. So, for Runaway Bride, James... You told me beforehand, which you've watched this quite a lot. I've watched this a few times. I, yeah. I haven't really... I don't think I've watched this since broadcast. I think the reason I've, I've watched it is because... And, and it is kind of a Christmas reason. I think when you've got the family over, you might you want to put on something fairly comforting. And my family, you know, certainly when Tennant was on when yeah. I was younger, were really into Doctor Who. Less so now. Mm-hmm. But... Back then, we would watch the old Doctor Who Christmas specials, and so the Runaway Bride kept coming up. So is this sort of like your comfort food of Doctor Who episodes, this This is one? a comfort food episode, yeah. Yeah. Although it was interesting. I, watching it now, I actually noticed, and this is probably because I've become much more critical of Who since we've started doing this show, yeah. I notice a lot more problems with it now. Mm-hmm. I still like it. I still think it's good fun, but I notice more problems with it than I did before. I mean, what did you think? Because you haven't watched this presumably in 16 years. I might have revisited it since, but I can't remember when. Yeah, it's been a long time, nevertheless. I have to be honest, there are only two scenes I remember from it. One scene isn't actually from it, I don't think. (laughs) So you remember one scene? I remember the stupid segue scene. Yep. And the flooding scene. 
I say I don't remember it from this episode, though. From Turn Left. I remember it from Turn Left because I watched Turn Left recently. Oh, you watched Turn Left recently? Uh, By recently, I think it was when I was in Reading, so last year. Okay, well, I was going to mention Turn Left later anyway, so that's that's helpful because there are parallels from Turn Left to this episode. Yeah. So what did what did you think overall? Did you did you like it? Did you think it was rubbish? I've seen the grand scale of Doctor Who Christmas specials, or let's call them festive specials, just to make sure we yeah, get a, get the New Year's ones. get the New Year's ones in there. We have to correct ourselves every and that's single what they're time. That's calling shooties one as well. Yeah. So I think the grand scale of the festive ones, it was actually quite good, and it's it's such a bizarre contrast from going from watching Chipnall specials where he had 90 minutes to tram it all in but i still walk away from rusty davies episodes where he's got to introduce a brand new companion feeling like they covered more in a story than has was done in the 90 minute one which we watched earlier this year which i think is testament to the strength of rusty davies as a writer yeah so so why why do people often feel which an episode is longer than it actually is uh, from a writing perspective. From a writing perspective, uh, there are many answers to that question. I think. I think what, what's, the... what's this one here specifically then? <laughs> I think it's just. Ah, oh, I'm trying to get the right answer for you. I don't want to like because the point of this is not to waste your time. So, so what? How does a writer not waste your time? Yeah. Focus on the basics. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing, and this episode does it really well because they introduce Donna as like a very of a stereotype character. I mean, I'm not sure how much you remember of 2006, but do you remember what England was like in 2006? It was very... There was this whole anti-culture against, like, yobbos and, like, chavs. Like, this was a big yeah. thing, but then you had all those benefits programmes and the mm-hmm. fat-shaming programmes. And Donna Noble is clearly meant to be... Initially, you're meant to view her as a satirization of all those things. So so at that point, Russell is already using like a societal shorthand. Mm-hmm. So you think you know that character because of um, all those things you knew in society. What makes it effective is that throughout the hour, that is challenged and spun yeah. around you. Mm-hmm. And that actually Donna is a very good character and has a lot of good values and becomes more um, observant and intelligent and get ends up so we get a nice character arc. You get a good character arc. You have a story that doesn't let up because there's always action going on. Mm. And in reality, like the, the actual story is quite simple. Mm. To be honest, it is quite simple. There, there, there's, there seems to be every solution seems to be some sort of day exact machina in some way. Yeah, I, I did notice that. I thought it's a little easy, but at the same time, it is a Christmas special and it is kind of a comfort food episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, this episode has very little ramifications for the wider Doctor Who story. There's a few, but... And that, that's why we watch them as separate things, because they are. But let's, let's sort of contextualise this episode and how it fits into the Doctor Who universe, if you don't know. So this is right... Uh, this this comes straight after um, Rose has been taken away into the parallel universe. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of darkness here for the Doctor. He's feeling a lot of loss. He's feeling a lot of remorse from that. And it's right before he then meets Martha. Can I say that Doomsday is probably my favourite Doctor Who episode ever. Mm -hmm. Probably is. Just because... I'm not even saying it's the best one. I just think it it sums up what Russell's era was good at, Mm -hmm. which was making you care. Yeah. And making you emotionally involved. Because Doomsday still gets me. 
so I guess it makes sense, and this is one of the issues I do of this episode, that the Doctor spends the whole time lamenting. Does he, though? Well, uh, there's a lot at the start. A lot of the dialogue comes back to Rose. There's that odd sequence when he's at the reception, and all of a sudden he's, like, having flashbacks. That only ever seems to come up for a short bit, and within context as well. Yeah, it does come up in context. We're led to here to believe which he's just lost someone who he had interests in. So, of course, it's going to be impacting on him a lot. Mm. And it, it it only seems to come up when someone else mentions him, aside from the flashback scene, which only yeah, goes that, on for around five seconds. Yeah, that's the thing I have the issue with. I think the other mentions are fine. I just think maybe that's slightly off. But but at the same time, I, I get it, because Rose was not only an important character for Tennant's Doctor, yeah. but for the, the audience who had gotten into Doctor Who in 2005. I mean, Rose had been the only companion they'd known, and... and losing a companion was a very big thing yeah because she was a very well-loved character and still is now by a lot of people so this is a strange transitional episode from that mini era of doctor who to what came next with martha so while yes he's trying to get over rose throughout the episode you get that and then there's so much action it kind of gets forgotten although i think the way tenant is in this episode is very interesting it's very much sort of Wars of Mars, very dark. It's, it's yes. the first real look of dark tenant we get, I think, isn't this it, is really? I'm, I'm thinking, because I was thinking about the Waters of Mars this episode, which is another one of my of my favourite tenant episodes, because I love just how dark he goes in the yeah. Waters of Mars. This isn't there. Like, the Waters of Mars is the full realisation of, can, like, the Valyard. You, you can see his teepering on the edge here, can't you? Yeah. I think it works really well in context, because obviously he's just lost someone he loved. Yeah. Let's be honest. And in that Rachnos sequence, obviously we talk spoilers on this show if you haven't if you haven't uh, listened to us before. Uh, so hopefully you've watched this. If not, pause this, go watch it. It's a good episode. It's on iPlayer. And only lasts for an hour, unlike some of the classics. <laughs> yeah, we've we did we've done a weekend of who we did a six parter uh, yesterday, which we're about to record later. It's long. Um, so yeah, so you'll be able to catch that next week on New Year's Day. Yes, that's on New Year's one. Yes, isn't it? Cool. Anyway, um, so that Ragnos scene mm-hmm. where he offers the Ragnos one last opportunity to sort of save itself, she rejects that offer. He responds by killing all of the Ragnos children and sort of enjoy not enjoying it, but he doesn't he shy basks, away from it. He, he basks, basks in, in it, the yeah. glory, doesn't he, of it of it of I've caused this. Is it is it basking or is he just It's weird, isn't it? I think the way Tennant plays it is so it's more kind of angry that he's having to do it. He's more resigned to doing it, but he accepts it. He almost accepts the darkness there. Or is it a madman enjoying his handiwork? Ah, it's tough. It's tough, isn't it? I think I think it's right on the fence of both. And I like that it's on the fence. Mm. I like that it doesn't go one way or the other. The, the The way that it makes sense to me is if you go and watch Turn Left, yeah, which happens in season four, which is Donna's season, that's the episode, if you don't remember it, where uh, there's a parallel world that, that Donna goes into where she never met the Doctor. In that episode... They explain the loss of the Doctor by the fact that the Doctor dies flooding the Ragnos in this episode. Yeah. 
which I think is always confirmed in my head canonically that if Donna wasn't there, I think he was actually suicidal. Mm-hmm. That's my read on this is that he'd lost Rose and had reached such an, a point where he didn't really care mm-hmm. if he got out and he'd waited too long and then couldn't. So I think if you view it with that in mind, this is just the doctor extending beyond the point where he was extending beyond the point where he could cope with the loss. Yeah. And Donna is the person who helps him escape that. Yeah. That's my view on it. What we're doing basically here is the Black Archive tradition of getting around 14 minutes into an episode, skipping everything else and going right for the end. Yes. So should we get back to the start of what we usually do, which is talk about characters? I feel like we've already largely done that. Actually, yeah, we have. We really have discussed it. Actually, do you want to talk about um, some of the other ones? Because we meet, we meet um, Sylvia. There we go. Sylvia Noble yes. in this episode. We meet Jeffrey Noble, who doesn't come back because the actor sadly passed away mm-hmm. um, before Donna's full series. And that is why Wilfred Mott became a thing, if mm-hmm. you didn't know. Um, rest in peace, Bernard Cribbins. There was also Lance yes. as well, a one-and-done character who... <laughs> Lance is really cheesy, I, I find, in this episode. He has got two personalities completely. Mm. He's got the lovey-dovey ones with Donna. And then at f- for his last scenes, at least, we realise which he has been in cahoots. Yes, he's been he's been part of the Ragnos plot for relatively vague reasons. It's never this, this I think goes back on to how this episode is very simplistic and doesn't do much explaining of itself. Mm. He never actually mentions how they met. Yeah, he just like, the How just do to, how does a head of human resources meet the Empress of the Ragnos? I don't know. Like like I understand it's a one-shot episode, so there's not much detail they can go into. And that's kind of the joy of this. Mm. Unless you start thinking about it, you don't notice the issues. Yeah. But literally, the only context we've got behind why this has happened is because the company is somehow linked to Torchwood. That that really is the only link, isn't it? I mean, there's references throughout... Because there's that whole running joke that Donna didn't know about all the things that had happened in the first two series you know he mentions the sycorax invasion from last year no idea mentioned what had happened with torture at canary wharf in doomsday the last episode no mention there well no no knowledge from donna there and hc clements which is the company that she works for is a torture subsidiary mysteriously just for reasons just for unknown reasons because isn't it like a key maker yeah that's all the companies they make keys Yes, but, a pretty but, big locksmith company. Yeah, they're a large locksmith company, but for some reason, they have a secret base below the Thames flood barrier. On the topic of that secret base, it is the least secret base I have ever seen. Like it's they go advertised on the lift. Like they go through a whole thing of, oh, it's not on the building plans. But why is there a lower basement on your lift? Like with a key. Like, surely it would make more sense to go, oh, look at the plans. There's a missing basement here. But where's the button? Padding around. Oh, here it is. 
Like, that would make more sense. Like, that's the least hidden bloody secret flaw you've ever seen. I suppose, theoretically, that, like, because there's a key that's required that would probably only be in the hands of a select few people, that people would just see the low basement and think, well, okay, must just be a locked thing. Can I let you into a secret about lifts and keys? Mm. A lot of them don't actually work. You can literally just shove in like a small bit of plastic and then twist it. I mean, this was the Torture Institute designing, you know, if H.C. Clements were so good at keys, they probably designed it themselves. Like really complex keys. And also, by the looks of the key lock they used, it's literally a standard one which you can buy off the shelf. I love how in-depth we're getting into, like, the exact way this, would, this, this key was manufactured. I mean, this episode highly features a key manufacturer. You need to do your research, James, before you go into these podcast have, recordings. Have you ever have you ever um, done any research into like keys and cutting keys before? No, because no. I I have no knowledge. Like, I you ever you ever been to the key cutters and thought at least like it was cool? Like, I went to the key cutters once because I lost my key and I borrowed like I was living in a house with people, so I borrowed my housemate's key and I went to the key cutter and I thought it was really cool they cut the key. But beyond that, I have no real knowledge of keys. One second, we've got a one-person audience this podcast recording, and they've got their hands up. They yes, miss. They also just do keys, they also do online security. They also do online security. So, so, so they're, they're... They do online security? <laughs> Fucking hell, this changes everything. Wow. wow. This Cyber is, security? This is one hell of a dynamic company, isn't it? They're doing it, online security? So, so, you, so, so down one corridor, we've got the key manufacturers. <laughs> down, down, down the other corridor, we've got the cyber experts, and they build for security. Like, this, this is one hell of a company. It's like... <laughs> that's insane. It's like, it's like if Norton bought Timpsons. <laughs> Turned it into one company. That's incredible. God, I like how there's nothing which relates the two aside from the fact which they, they arguably use, they work with one works with physical keys, the other one works with electronic keys. And you know what's the best thing about this whole palaver about keys? Is that those keys are in no way relevant to the story at all because the Doctor Sonics his way through everything. Yeah. That, like Could have been any freaking company. It would have been more relevant for this company to be a lift manufacturer. <laughs> I think what what we're trying to make as a point is that there is a lot in this episode there, there, there's a point that doesn't to this. make sense. There's a point to this entire yes. discussion? I think there is a point because a lot of this episode, you just kind of accept at face value, but there's not a lot of depth to it. And a lot of the way the plot goes is very coincidental and convenient. I and... think it goes back to what we were discussing before about how it feels like there's a lot in this story. Its pacing is so fast as you watch it you don't notice these things. Mm. Compared with if we go back to Chibnall, his pacing tends to be so slow, which you notice all of these flaws. Yeah, and from a writing perspective, that's not so much that the script is moving at a different pace. It's not. The difference in pace is governed mm -hmm. by the amount of action. Yeah. In, this, in The Runaway Bride, there is like an action sequence every five minutes. Yeah. There is. You know, Donna Rise and the TARDIS, they have to they go look at space they come down there's the action sequence on the street then she's in the cab uh, with the pilot fish that's another part that's another action scene they go to the reception that's attacked there's your other action scene got to go to clements into the secret base another action scene it's like, and then they go to see the creation of the earth that's an action scene in theory so there's loads of them happening yeah it's there's lots of stuff there's lots of set pieces you're and constantly you see buzzing the stuff yeah 
Chibnall's episode, you bounce from one conversation to another conversation about things that have already taken place. That feels incredibly slow because you're not looking at anything. Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, the Chibnall era is done now, so we can say this. The biggest problem with the Chibnall era was telling, not showing, if you could sum it up. I like how you required for season to be over before you made that judgment, the judgment you've already made before repeatedly on this podcast. Yeah, but I was waiting to hope that... I mean, look, I didn't mind The Power of the Doctor at all. I actually thought it was pretty good, like a a good send-off, but it didn't change my view that Mm. that's the big issue. I was waiting for him to do something almost worse (laughs) before I said it. Anyway, so yeah, the, the story keeps you going, and so because you're watching all that action... You're thinking, oh, great action, but you don't really notice that the, the solutions to the problems are a little bit mm-hmm. convenient, which is fine. Not the best, but it does the job. It is a Christmas episode after all. Right. There's, a, there's one thing, one small thing I want to discuss, which isn't massively related to this episode, but it's about Doctor Who canon. Okay. Yeah. I, I like a good canon question. Because one thing I think people get overly hung up on about Doctor Who is canon. I am one of those people. I'll, I'll freely admit this. So what did you think about the canon in this episode, then? It, it someone who gets caught up a lot in canon. Uh, <laughs> it's not very consistent. I, I, I'll say that. Because there's, there's a few things the Doctor does in this episode that are not conventional. Uh, I'm not on about what the Doctor does. I'm on about the main plan of this story. The main plan of this story? Yes. So we've, we've, we've previously played with digging around to the core of the Earth, haven't we, in a third Doctor story? Yes, yes, we have, actually. If, so, if so we go back to Doctor Who and the Silurians, which is the story I think you're referring to. I'm referring to the Inferno, for one which you keep getting confused about. You did this when we were editing did this. Did I? Yes, is it's that Inferno. Inf- is that Inferno? Oh, yeah, Inferno, Core of the Earth, yeah. Yes. Cool, I'm with that story. Yeah, this is not the first time we've been we've been drilling. Yeah. The difference being that this time, what's actually the centre of the Earth is the Ragnos. And there's no green goo. Where's my pointless green goo? There's no point to it last time, but where is it this time, James? Well, to be fair, they, the Ragnos might have been green goo. We never got to see them, though, because budget, and they got flooded. Yeah. However, last time we dug down to the core of the earth, everything got very hot. Extremely. Mm. But this time it doesn't. Mm. Is that because my... If I'm giving an argument for this, is that because the, the tunnel... Because Torch would have built the tunnel, right? Yes. Torchwood just built the tunnel like with lasers. They just used some really hard metal so the heat wouldn't get out. Personally, I can't think of a metal that exists on this earth that wouldn't melt in the core of the earth. I don't think there is such a metal. I have to be honest with you. I don't think there is. Like we say, canon, a little bit off there. The other issue I have with canon in this episode is the Doctor just does stuff I find a bit just odd. Just stuff he wouldn't usually do. Things which would go into the worst thing the Doctor did this series award, you reckon? <laughs> not they're not like hugely bad, but they're indicative of of a not quite himself Doctor. Yeah, like there are you know during this episode the Doctor hacks into a bank to get money, yeah, which is something the Doctor has never carried, as we know. Uh, wasn't well, the entire played. point of this which he wasn't carrying money so he needed yeah, some so he money. Yeah, so he had to get some money. In an he emergency. He committed some fraud. 
He did offset the fraud by by shooting out all of the money to distract the pilot fish, which allowed the people of London to enjoy free money, which I believe is is a very Bolshevist maneuver and one that I respect. But then there's also the stuff like um, flying the TARDIS through um, on the street during the yeah. taxi sequence. There are things in that sequence that don't line up. Like, you know, how does he have a track on Donna? Um, he has Donna has been in the TARDIS, and therefore she's got. Is that, feet. Is that canon? I mean, we've previously done it before. How we can track people who's been in the TARDIS because they've got temporal energy. Yeah, that does check out. Actually, that's temporal energy is a thing. Okay, yeah, it's not very well explained, but we'll go with that. But the TARDIS doesn't isn't used to flying. That's a very different kind of scene. Yes, I feel like it's been done before, but I can't think of where. I think it's probably. Yes, I think it has been done before. It's just very rare yeah. that that happens. I just felt like there was a lot of things that weren't normal. You know, the TARDIS almost never dematerializes in this episode. It like, flies and jets off. Yeah. Instead, it's just a little odd. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like Tennant's almost in his, um, yeah, in his like, damaged rock star mode. He's just doing random stuff for the hell of it because he couldn't care less. It's one of those things of where... It feels like they've sort of like got a guest writer who hasn't really watched it before and just yeah, done, but it done, is done Russell. thing. Russell writes this episode. Yeah, yeah. That, but that's the feeling, though, isn't it? Is yeah, no, it is. There are a few. There are a few things that link it. You can tell there was some planning involved yeah. for future episodes. the The main one I think people will notice if you go watch this episode back is when I believe it is Unit. It's not made phenomenally clear. It's later confirmed. It's Unit when you go through the series, units shoot down the Ragnos yeah. and the order comes from a certain Mr. Saxon. Yes. Who we meet in the next series. It's, it's one of the things which, which Rusty Davis did well is the literally hiding things in plain sight. Like, unless you know what's coming up, that's just some random guy high up in the government. Yeah. But, but now we know who that is and it's only as a new, whole new element to the story. And I think that because we know that now, when we get to a Russell series mm-hmm. very soon, we're going to have to start thinking again that throwaway names aren't throwaway names. Russell is very careful with detail. And throwaway objects as well, like Bad Wolf and Torchwood as well was one of those things which which yeah. was only brought up casually beforehand and then became a big thing. But yeah, Bad Wolf. I mean, if you think about how subtle Bad Wolf was initially, you know, it's a bit of graffiti on a wall. It's... um. It's like an access code. Yeah. It's it's all so very light that people just thought, oh, that must just be an Easter egg. They must just be doing it out of a joke or something. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you realise it was the core of the entire series was this Easter egg, uh, which is phenomenal. And it might be that again. So you have to watch out for these details. And I think that leads me to another point I'm interested in, which is um, how it feels like once you watch the Donna series. Yeah this episode becomes a lot more important because of the Donna series, but you do obviously know that there was never intended for there to be mm-hmm. a Donna series. So so how do you how do you think that that's handled? Because when we meet Donna again, that's all important, but obviously when they were writing this episode, they were never intending to do Donna again. To be fair, I think it's left off in a very neutral place where they mm. could have gone either way. Because we leave... With Donna going, no, I don't want to go with you, but will I see you again? And yeah. Doctor goes, if I'm lucky, which is kind of like a 
a nice way to leave it open. Yeah, we're, it's we're, an open ending. He hasn't done what he did to for Brigadier at the end of the Inferno, where he just goes ahead and insults him massively. <laughs> yeah, and then gets forced back. Yeah, it is a nice neutral ending where it's very open. You feel like they leave on good terms as well. I do feel like I can't remember going back to the Donna series because I haven't watched them that recently. But I do wonder because we know which which she does stumble into the Doctor and does end up travelling with him. Yes. What in her mind changed in that particular period between the no, I don't want to go with you because it's dangerous and you're a bit insane mm. to yes, I want to go with you. I think the the explanation given is if you go and watch Partners in Crime, mm. the first episode of that Donna series, it's it's mainly explained that Donna became inquisitive about the fact that there were aliens out there and obviously now she knew that. Yeah. And naturally by doing that and sort of seeking her own thrill in her earthbound way, mm-hmm. she naturally thought of the Doctor and all the other mad stuff she could see at that point. I think she got the bug. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the explanation given quite, at least. Quite quite literally in in a sense because in ter- <laughs> yeah. what happens in turn she, left. Yes, <laughs> she gets the uh, the Tracers Brigade. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the explanation given. And I admit that's a bit of a left turn, but obviously the way things fell in the production... Did you turn left? I did turn left, yes. The way things fell in the production was like that, so they had to, they had to shove Donna a little bit that way to make it work. Yeah. Which I think's fine. I, I think the explanation of it's fine. And I think it was within character that she arced I, that way. I think it's part of it being such a short and sweet story of we don't, Aside from the surface level stuff, we don't really get to know much of what makes Donna tick. No, not really. So it feels like they can easily... It's, it's a very neutral playing field for them to get her back in. Yeah, because, I mean, how it all came about was Russell, for the fourth series, was writing a different character called Penny initially. But I think he found that while trying to write Penny, he started thinking about Donna and they were quite similar... And so he clouded the idea, you know, he put the idea forward, could we ever possibly get Catherine Tate for a full series? Bearing in mind, like, the Catherine Tate show was on at that point, which was hugely popular here in the UK. She was at the height of her fame, getting an act, an actor, a comedian of that quality for that long of a filming commitment, because that's a, you know, five, six month filming is a lot, but mm. they managed to do it and the opportunity presented itself. And that's why we got a Donna series. So it's kind of a happy accident. But it's interesting how it feels very in line with Donna still. Yeah. Despite I, it, the fact they never intended to go that way. I think it's for what... As I say, I think it's how they left it so open for the exit. It, they didn't kill her off. <laughs> yeah, see, that's they, the important thing. They, they they kept them on good terms, realist-ish. Mm. I think as good as terms you can possibly go yeah. with with Donna. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Without without her being too mad at you. Yes. <laughs> I think the main one. It does raise that question, though, because going into the the next episode of Doctor Who, where we are now, yeah, Donna's obviously in a very closed place. We know that she can't remember the Doctor or her head will explode. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do they write their way out of that? It's a speculation. I'm just interested to see how they'll do it. Let's not speculate, but I'm interested to see it. Yeah. So should we just sort of like as a sort of way to wrap this up because I know we did that this last last year. 
how Christmassy is this Christmassy story? <laughs> well, it's it's very similar to the Christmas Invasion. It, I think's the main thing. It feels very bookend. We've got the front cover Christmas, the back cover Christmas, and then the inside is just Doctor Who. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's let's be honest. We we start off with go once once again. It is the oh look, it's the Christmas robots. By the end, they literally rem- are not Christmas robots anymore. They're just robots. Yeah, so the Christmas stuff is removed. We're now having a story about a space spider. Yeah. And the Thames flood barrier. And then it snows at the end. Yeah, it is it's once again very surface level Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean you you have to give it you have to give it a Russell that he's still managed to find a way to to somehow whip it around into being a Christmas episode, even though it's 45 like, minutes of it, it's not relevant to Christmas at all. Like, even in the plot, they go, they basically admit it makes no bloody sense by going, why are you getting married on Christmas Eve? Yeah. Even in the plot, they know this makes no Just bloody sense. Like, You're getting married on Christmas? I hate Christmas. Really? Even they know it's preposterous. I mean, look, the most, the most popular Christmas story in the world does have a character who hates Christmas. Yeah. So that's not... No, no. I'm, ah, the question. But it's just such a throwaway line to get rid of an obvious question. It, it's just like it knows <laughs> it, it's, it, it knows itself, which is preposterously Christmas, because it's like the only reason it's Christmas is because of banners in the background of of the opening scene. <laughs> yes. For robot Christmas, for robot Christmases who once again turn into just robots towards the end. Yep. And Christmas bubbles, and at the end we end on a Christmas dinner. Yes, Christmas dinner is mentioned, but Christmas dinner is like once again just a backdrop. But it is almost the exact same as the Christmas invasion in yeah. the sense that the pilot fish robots with the brass band come back. Yeah, the Christmas the killer Christmas tree comes back, although in a different way, which I liked with the yeah. bauble bombs. Yeah, which is. Good, pleasant fun, especially the the bit where one of the reception party gets absolutely launched into a wedding cake, which, if it was a death, would be up there for best deaths, but he's he's all right. Mm. He's just got a face full of cake. How many Christmas trees would you give this out of 10? Like, as a, like as a Christmas rating, if, if one is, like, not Christmassy at all, and 10 is, it's a wonderful life. I'm going to probably say it's around a three. <laughs> it's about three Christmas trees. Because realistically... Literally, everything Christmassy related is surface level. Mm, it is. It's just there. Like, you, if, I, if you remove the, the, the Christmas decorations and for, and take the masks for, off the robot Santas, would there be any difference in this story? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, the only thing which would have issues is the fact which Pilot Fisher would be, find it hard to blend in. I wonder if whether... You know, I, I, this is pure speculation. I'm probably wrong. I wonder whether this was a story that had been come up with for mm. a new for a new companion that they decided would work. Who knows for Donna, and and that they sort of lifted some of the ideas that they'd had and just yeah. turned it into a Christmas episode because they needed a Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. Because, like we said before, Rose had left by this point. Freema Adjuman, who played Martha, wasn't available until series three. And so they needed Catherine to come in as a temp, as a stopgap, M- much like we've got in 2023 now, where Shooty isn't available and, and they're having to get Tennant back to fill this void for the 60th. Yeah. You know, sometimes that can lead to great stuff. Sometimes it 
feels obvious, but I'm glad that they found a way to make a transition episode feel this fun, and then it felt not like a transition episode at all because we got Donna back. Yes. So, out of ten, James, of that roundup, what do you think? It's good fun. It does have its issues. It's a little bit convenient, but it's got all of the the Russell strengths. It's quick. Mm. It's funny. Yeah, that's the one last thing I'll say while I'm wrapping this up. This is a very funny episode. Donna's brilliant in this episode. The Tenant and Tate Mm. rapport, we all know is brilliant. We don't have to bring it up too much. It's the star of the show. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'll probably agree with that. It's a how, good episode. How there is one thing to mention towards the ending is that he does do, which Rusty Davis here does do a chip note and change the universe drastically and then never resolves it. He does drain the Thames, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, Russell, I love you, I respect you. Can't do that. <laughs> you, have to, you have to fill back the Thames somehow. And on that note, we bring an end to this episode. We have not drained for Thames, but we've probably ran out of things to say. That made no sense, but we're flowing with it anyway. No, (laughs) it's just a sentence that you've said in a weird way. (laughs) So if you've enjoyed this merry mess on Christmas Day, you can follow us on Twitter at Black Archive Pod, and you can also contact us there. And you can email us, blackarchivepod at gmail.com. Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Have a wonderful festive season, whatever you're doing, however you're celebrating. Join us at New Year, where we're going to be visiting some snowmen. Uh, We'll keep it festively themed. And we will be there when you get here. So have a lovely Christmas, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye and Merry Christmas.